Welcome back, everybody, to Bill's Chat on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh. With me, as always, is Luca. Luca, how's it going tonight? Uh, it's going good. Um, pretty relaxing Sunday. Uh, it was nice to have the guys over again. There was a few more people that I haven't seen in a while back. You know, traveling seems to have slowed down and everything. Just a nice, enjoyable, relaxing Sunday watching football, as always, of course. And uh, ready to record this next great show to talk about Bills and what they did today on Sunday. What do we even do with this game, Luca? Like, because the whole thing of like a post game show is you're supposed to talk about that game that just happened. But I'm going to be honest to everybody listening. I'm going to be honest to Luca. Like, the second this game ended, my mind was already on the Kansas City Chiefs. This was just one of those games that it went so well for Buffalo that you could not help but think about, okay, save some for next week. Let's bring on the Chiefs. Plus, it didn't hurt the fact that if you were not in attendance for this game and you watched it on CBS, they threw it in your face constantly that the Bills and Chiefs were up next week. Every single commercial break seemed to have that video montage of the 13 seconds playoff game in the divisional round. So Nance and Romo had the Bills game this week. They kept referencing, can't wait for Kansas City next week. We will get to Kansas City. We will talk about that game tonight a little bit just because of how big it is. But we have to get to the game that happened today. Buffalo wins against the Pittsburgh Steelers 38-3, to Luca, and improved a 4-1 and on the regular season. Luca, I've been doing this thing now where I ask you what you felt like at the end of the game, but I feel like that's kind of... At, at this point in time, a question that's fairly obvious with a game like this. I'm going to mix it up a little bit this week. The Bills won 38 to three. The game, by the time the second half rolled around, it was really a kick your feet up and relax kind of game. Were you worried at any point during today's game that this may not go in favor of the Bills or it may just be more challenging than you anticipated? I think the obvious plot point, and we'll definitely dive more into it, that opening 90 seconds or opening minute, however you want to frame it, because it was essentially all right there in that opening moments of the port, uh, portion of the game. Uh, third and 10, on your own two, things didn't go well, three consecutive plays, including the you know opening kickoff, of course, where you muff that, you can't even get it out you know outside the five. Your first and second down plays just really don't do anything for you. It's third and 10, and you're just... My head was worried a little bit. It was kind of the situation where we had last week where things just weren't going our way early on. And I just, my, it, it creeped in just a little bit there where it was, are we really about to have another one of these first halves? Is something going to happen against a lesser team, you know, lesser than Baltimore, of course, and that's Baltimore's a very good team, but a lesser team in the Pittsburgh Steelers, are we about to have another poor first half and have to really struggle through this and somehow find a way to flip it later on in the game. Luckily, things changed a little bit there. But at that moment in time, you know, I'll highlight it there. I'll kick it back to you. I'll let you have the fun with this one. But that third and 10 in the opening minute where you're really just not sure what the heck is going on. Yeah, that's probably the scariest this game got. Probably for everyone. You know, I would I would bet 99.9% of people that were watching that game with a loyalty or just anything, money anything towards the bills were worried that was the point they were most worried where you really didn't know the direction that game was going to go and lucky for us josh and this is where i'll kick it back to you things got a lot better really quick 
So we're going to hit timeout right there and come back to that third and 10 that Luca just referenced. And I'm going to fast forward a bit and talk about where I was worried about because the Bills did go down and get a touchdown. We'll talk about that touchdown, obviously, in a second. And the Bills on the next kickoff with the win, the win today was a big factor. You saw it playing in the kicking game. You saw it in field goals. Uh, you saw it in the punt return game. Every every kick when the ball was in the air was an adventure for the return men. Um, you saw it with Taiwan Jones on the opening kick. and. I thought the game really got challenging for the Bills, or at least where I started to think to myself, I wonder if this is going to be one of those days. Bills get a touchdown, then they have the kickoff fumble that uh, they recover for the Steelers. And so the Bills then have the ball and they're going in. Tyler Bass misses the field goal. And then you're thinking, oh, that was a good opportunity to go up two scores. You know, the, the Steelers have a rookie quarterback, but it's okay. He's probably not ready to be going into Buffalo and playing against this defense. And on that first drive, Kenny Pickett leads the Steelers down on a really clean looking scoring drive that ends in a field goal. Mike Tomlin, I love you, buddy, but you got to be more aggressive in a game like this. You can't be settling for so many field goals against an opponent like this, but that is not our problem. And after that drive where the Bills, where they were up seven to three, I was nervous because I was like, okay, huge touchdown play, huge break on special teams where they get the ball back. And not only do the Bills not pull away early, but the, the Steelers look competent on offense with Kenny Pickett. Maybe we're in a game. We were not in a game. Spoiler alert. The Bills go on to win 38 to 10. Let's rewind now back to that third and 10 play, Luca. And this is one of those moments I'm going to be honest with you and honest with the listening audience. So third and 10, Josh Allen finds Gabe Davis on a 98 yard touchdown pass. Just amazing. Here was my vantage point for that. Here's a little peek behind the curtain of how my Sundays go. With us recording on Sundays after the Bills play, we don't have access to all 22. We really don't have access. I don't have access to go back and rewatch the game too much um, with it happening early in the day. You know, you can, you can look on some highlight stuff if you want to, but I'm also, you know, hanging out with my family. I'm also keeping my eye on the rest of the league. I'm a fan of the league. I'd rather watch live games than go back and rewatch a Bills game that I've already seen. So one way I kind of dissect Bills games is on my DirecTV, there's a rewind function. So if a play happens, something doesn't go right, I will rewind it and then I'll watch it again in slow motion and I can get a really good feel for what went wrong. So it was the first or second down that didn't go well for the Bills. I rewound it on my direct TV and wanted to slow motion it to see like who missed their block, whatever. That's how I get a lot of my analysis down. As I go back and rewatch stuff in slow motion. I almost never catch commercials because I'm almost always like two or three minutes behind live action. And, and so it gets to the third down play. I haven't caught back up yet. And I hear my wife screaming upstairs, go, go, go. Oh my God. And I'm like, what, what? And I'm looking at the screen and that's when Alan hikes the ball and it sinks into my head like, oh, this is going to be good. And of course it was good. So Luca, you got to see it live. You got to experience it without the screaming spoiler alert of your wife screaming upstairs. What was your thoughts on that 98 yard touchdown pass? When the ball goes in the air instantly, you're like Josh sees something that uh, my head is emit immediately. It's kind of like ears perked up. Oh, he sees something. He threw that ball. Like it was intended to go there. That was his supposed to be pre-snap that's where he wanted to go with it so you know there's a confidence in that instantly I went from worried to optimistic soon as the camera finally hits Gabe Davis and I see Levi Wallace about to land on his belly a full step behind Gabe Davis I already it was almost like it was it was already in the end zone 
It was over. The play was over. And Gabe Davis comes down with it and essentially just needs to jog his way. I mean, he still runs, although Diggs postgame did, you know, say he gave him a little lip and told him he's still slow, which I love. <laughs> but yeah. um, in that moment, Gabe Davis finishes it and the touchdown happens. It's like all that worry and stuff. Imagine like a toilet flushing from the brain down. You know, when I when I have my head issues and stuff, I I literally have this feeling. But emotionally, it did the same thing where from the top of my head down, all of a sudden relief and just excitement, enjoyment. Not one person other than my friend that can't really move around right now due to surgical reasons and stuff. God bless him. He still made it over and enjoyed the game with us. But everyone else that could stand up abruptly did and just joy and excitement filled the living room that is in my house instantly and just I don't think there was a worry I know you mentioned the field goal later on that was missed and stuff of that nature but it seemed over at that point in my living room I can genuinely tell you that I know you know we've shot out my friend our friend Nino before Nino and I had kind of a little thing like this game's over like they're they're not they're not doing anything after this. Even you watch that opening drive for Pittsburgh and stuff going forward. I don't think there was ever a moment after that point, just because even when the chips really see, like you cannot underestimate how crazy it must be when you have this game plan, you have this idea and how the game's going to go. If you get the ball first and you muff the opening kickoff and then you don't really get going anything going early. And now you're stuck back to the end zone, third and 10 and you're going to throw this ball because you're Josh Allen in the Bills offense. But if you don't get that first down, you're in deep crap. I mean, that's a we saw what happens when your back's against your own end zone on a punt, you know, a couple of weeks ago in Miami. And all of a sudden the ball's booted into your, you know, up back's butt and something bad happens. The worry was there. As soon as that's gone, as soon as Gabe Davis scores that 98-yard touchdown, which, by the way, is the longest play in NFL history in the opening 90 seconds. Just fun fact. Um, it was just joy and exuberance and relief and everything that you possibly can of a positive attitude. And that point on, man, I was feeling great. There was, I went into this game thinking that we just needed to at least score 10 points to beat the Steelers. That's how much I respected the offense of the Pittsburgh Steelers. So unless something cataclysmic happened with this offense and this team and just everything as a whole, I really wasn't worried, but all of a sudden you hand them points early in the situation that it may have been. And then you go and turn it into seven points of your own. Yeah, it's over. Like Pittsburgh's not going to recoup from this. Uh, You know, Levi Wallace might've gotten his quote unquote revenge later on and gave a little bit of a shush and stuff to the crowd, but he then continued to get burnt. So take that one, Levi. But uh, yeah, no, it was what a moment. What no no spoiler alert. That's so frustrating, by the way. Like just <laughs> just to kind of comment on that. Like there's a, a friend that we go over to, he does all streaming only and stuff, and his TVs don't sync up. So we make sure that the basement TV is always ahead of the upstairs TV, because generally the more casual spectators are upstairs, and then the more, you know, need to really get input as fast as possible are downstairs. Mm-hmm. So that issue does not happen. But then them upstairs experience so say the Taron Johnson you know pick six moment a couple years ago uh in the playoffs that happened for those people upstairs they heard all of us just screaming and they're like oh something's about to happen and so on so forth but I can't imagine being on the other side of that that oh that's brutal I hope hopefully it didn't ruin the moment too much that's all I'll say to that 
I don't mind it as much as you think I might, because I'll explain quickly. This isn't about me, but just like my situation is I have two young kids here, one seven and one's one. So my wife knows that like, like many of you out there, the bills game in particular, NFL Sunday, much larger, but the bills game in particular is like the three hours a week. I very much look forward to every week, non-negotiable, like let's not have any family um, planning during that time. Everybody gets it. And so, you know, she has been such a trooper while my kids are young of like she watches the kids during the Bills game. And then I kind of make it up to her on Saturday. I'll take them out of the house for a few hours. It's a tag team effort. That's a long way of saying like my kids are at the age now where like I want to get my daughter into the Bills. Like she's starting to get old enough where I'd be comfortable watching a game with her. But she's also still at that point where she gets antsy and it could be a big third down play. And she'll be like, Daddy, what's your favorite color? And it's just like not what you want to do in that moment. So. What I, what I love is like, that was a genuine emotion out of my wife, right? Like she's not screaming because she's trying to spoil it. She's also aware of the fact that like, she tries to keep it down because she doesn't want to spoil it. So her screaming comes from like a very natural excitement point of view. And when I met my wife, she was the furthest thing from a sports fan. Like at one point in time, she saw the bills logo on a TV screen and said, look, there's your band. Like that's how out of touch with sports she was. So like to have her come to this point. Um, it, it's really kind of a cool feeling and, you know, it's a give and a take, uh, and I certainly am not upset with her. It was a cool moment and, uh, it is what it is. And plus, you know, it's a good thing that happens. So you can kind of enjoy the play. So I think the way this show is going to go, Luca, the, with the way the game went this week and with who the bills have next week is we're going to kind of weave in and out of like this game and big picture conversations. I think that's just the only way it can really go. And the first big picture conversation I do want to have about the Bills based on this game, Josh Allen is a damn cheat code in bad weather conditions. I think the Bills, I know we've talked about this off the air. I don't know if we brought it on the air, so I'll just kind of circle back to it. I think that Monday night game against New England that we all remember that was such a poor weather game, it felt like the Bills figured out a little bit too late in that game that create a player Josh Allen is capable of making throws in conditions that most normal quarterbacks can't. And while it's not perfect, his good enough is going to be way better than the good enough that other quarterbacks are getting. And look, today was not the Monday night game against New England where it was monsoon-like conditions, obviously. But there was a very big factor with the win today. Josh Allen goes 20 of 31, 424 passing yards, four touchdowns. He did have the one interception added 42 more on the ground and should have had one more touchdown if Quentin, Quentin Morris doesn't drop it before he falls into the end zone. So all of that is to say, Luca, it feels to me like for all this talk about like, hey, the Bills need a dome. The Bills have this great offense and they're wasting it with all these bad weather. I feel like the Bills are starting to figure out that, yes, you think about bad weather, you think about power running and power football. They might have the ultimate cheat code at quarterback to handle these conditions. And today to me was exhibit a of that. 1000% this, your point on the bad weather Monday night game is absolutely spot on accurate. It's a little too late. They figured it out, but at least they figured it out finally. And this was a game where there was no limitation. It seemed like to the offense, this is exactly what they would do on a bright, sunny day in San Diego. It doesn't matter if there was even a little bit of light snow and stuff like that here in Buffalo. Say this game came in you know, December time when the wind is high a little bit and then there's also a little precipitation of snow. This would have been the game plan. It does not matter. This was the game too, to your point and just to add to it, that 
any Bills fan out there should look at and go, this is why running the ball in playoff time, yes, you want it, but it's not really that necessary for this team. It's just built on the shoulders of Josh Allen, and this offense can tick in those bad weather moments in January when you need it just as well. I don't think that this should be just a, well, it was a regular season game moment. The wins were bad enough that any average quarterback, as you mentioned, could have some struggling throws, could just not be feeling it or be in a rhythm enough to get things going, whereas Josh Allen just did not care. I mean, those deep throws, both the first one, the 98-yard score, and then the one later on where Gabe Davis made a great one-hand pull in to then also rip it away from Mika to secure the touchdown, that second one, those balls with the wind going on the way it was is so impressive, just unbelievably impressive. And even on an off throw, one that I know you mentioned on air, so I want to make sure you get the credit for this, where Allen thought he needed to throw it a little touchy, and it goes to Shakir. Luckily, Shakir makes a great play on the ball, ends up going getting in the end zone with it, where it did. It wasn't a perfect throw. It was a little underthrown for the elements, but even with him trying to, quote-unquote, touch throw it, it still got to where it needed to go. A touch throw for someone else, like maybe a Kenny Pickett or an Alex Smith or you know any of those kinds of guys like that. I'm not trying to lump those two guys together just for anyone out there, but just guys of that nature where they don't necessarily have the arm, it seems, at this point in time to really dart them in. Those kinds of throws at that moment where you're trying to touch it could all of a sudden stray much further than the one Allen threw to Shakir and create bigger problems for the offense or for the team as a whole. So, yeah. Josh Allen is a cheat code in bad weather. Josh Allen is the weapon of all weapons at the quarterback position in the National Football League. He is the guy. Like, this is, it's final. Finito. Finished. He's the one. You have a bad weather game, he is the quarterback that it does not matter. He's going to probably go 24 of 30, 360 yards, dice you up. Oh, by the way, he can then tuck it and run for another 50, 60, 100 on you because the man is just an absolute beast and will take whatever you give to him and maximize the output. It's it's incredible. It's just just a chef's kiss. Just wonderful. One thing that's interesting about his second touchdown pass today, would I, I'm trying to remember the order now, his second pass to Gabe Davis, I believe that was his second pass of the, of the day. I'm not quite sure of the order of the two and the third one. Uh, but it, to me, was the first time watching football where it's like the receiver makes a fantastic play in Davis at the same time that the defensive back also makes a fantastic play. That was just unbelievable football to watch play out. Minka Fitzpatrick did everything you want your defensive back to do in that situation, except he lost the wrestling match in the end zone for the ball. It was a beautiful play by two high-level players, and Gabe Davis came away with it for his second touchdown of the day. And I do now, since we're talking about Allen performing in in bad weather conditions i'm going to kind of move forward to another higher level conversation not necessarily this game but more big picture so right now luca when you look at it so far the bills are four and one they've only played two home games in those home games the bills have outscored their opponents 79 to 10 and (laughs) 
the two opponents that showed up were both playoff teams last year. Now, I understand we we have isolated weaknesses on those teams. Maybe they weren't as strong as their records showed, but these were not the Houston Texans or the Washington Commanders showing up to Buffalo. These were teams that were in the playoffs and considered to be playoff contenders this year. A lot of things would have had to probably go right for Pittsburgh, but you get the point, 79 to 10. Luca, we've been talking about it all offseason. The goal for this team is simple. The goal has to be whatever it takes to get that one seed, and that will be a big part of the Kansas City conversation we have later in the show. If the Bills get the one seed, I I don't even know how to phrase this as a question because 79 to 10 is a statement. I don't want to say that they're a lock to go to the Super Bowl because I have way too much respect for Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and even Joe Burrow if you want it. But I just feel like the rest of the conference would take a very deep sigh of we're in trouble if the Buffalo Bills get the one seed. For those of you that don't know, the one seed doesn't only ensure you all your games in the playoffs are going to be at home. You also get the first round of the playoffs off while the other six teams have to play to qualify to go to the next round. Luca, am I crazy to think that while it's not 100% locked that the Bills would go to the Super Bowl if they get the one seed, they might be the number one team in the entire sport to benefit off of that? To put it in a way I love to look at something like this and to jump into your point, no, you're not crazy. The way I look at it is this, and, the, and this is the language I love to talk, right? And I know we, you're maybe thinking about where I'm going with this. The Bills are at minimum six-point favorites at any point in time against anyone at home in the playoffs. They are minus six, if not a greater favorite against anyone in that. And that basically tells you that I'm saying if AFC championships in Buffalo, you know, I'm not trying to, we got to get there first. AFC championship is in Buffalo in this theory, though, and the Kansas City Chiefs are coming to town, we are six-point favorites. That is how much it means to have that number one seed and what this offense can do at home, even in those tough moments that would be late January. It doesn't matter. We are essentially a touchdown favorite. It's This offense is, at this point in time, seemingly to bounce back into it weatherproof. This offense is just going to go with Josh Allen, and Josh Allen has proven once again that he is a machine greater than the weather Mother Nature can throw at him. He is a problem for anyone at any point in time. Give him a little bit of focus and motivation in the playoffs when he knows the games just matter more. And this is where legacies are born and everything like that. And all offseason, we would be thinking about that and this playoff run that we hopefully go on and being in that one seed, being in front of the home crowd and all the mafia that we know. Yeah, six-point favorites, this team, and the rest, the rest of the AFC is going to look at this team as a one seed and it, exactly how you put it shit this is a problem this is a big big problem exactly how teams looked at it basically with the Kansas City Chiefs the past few seasons it's it's the same thing for different reasons potentially because i do think that perception of buffalo as a location and a place to go in the playoffs is easily looked at as one of the worst places to go it's up there close to lambeau field it's it's just you don't want to be that team unless you're the San Francisco ah, unless you're the 49ers going to Lambeau you don't <laughs> want to be going there you know it's it's just you don't want to go through Buffalo you just never have you never will it's a place that teams don't want to have to travel to especially the likes of 
I don't know if the Chargers are really much of a playoff team the way things are looking, but especially if you're one of those style teams, the Chargers, the, I, I can't even think, Miami Dolphins, the those teams, they want no part of this at, environment and atmosphere and everything that comes with it in January when the game matters. That's, that is not something they want to see. And the Chiefs themselves, I mean, Mahomes has been graced by God or whatever to never have to really no, it's not even really. He's never had to play a playoff game outside of Kansas City, outside of Arrowhead. And I do think it's going to be fascinating whenever that moment comes, hopefully this season, if the Bills are the one seed and Kansas City and Buffalo are just on a warpath against each other in that AFC championship that it seems to be at this point in time. And what Mahomes is going to have to do finally on the road here in Buffalo. Because if it's cold and windy and stuff, now, Mahomes has also got an arm on him and stuff of that nature. He could be someone that could also throw in that environment and make things work. But I like our chances. I love this area for what it is. And we have a quarterback that absolutely I would believe to be essentially a touchdown favorite against anyone that has to come up here in playoff time. When Lucas has a touchdown favorite, we have the math to back that up. When you look at how home field advantage works in the NFL, historically, the home team gets about three points based on Vegas odds. So if a team is a three point favorite at home, you think of it that there it's a it's a it's an even game on a neutral site. And then the team that's on the road would get three points on the road. Now, the math has changed in recent years as you've seen less and less of a home field advantage league wide. So the number is a little bit closer to two, maybe even one and a half two for the teams that have a strong home field advantage like the Bills. Look at a game last week. The Bills played the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore. They were a three-point favorite in Baltimore. You take away the two points the Ravens would get for playing in Baltimore from them. That makes it five. You add two to give it to the Bills playing in Buffalo. There's your seven. There's the touchdown Luca was talking about. There is a line already set for the Bills game in Kansas City next week. The Bills on the road are a two-point favorite. You do a four-point swing for that. There's your six points. Luca is spot on that the way these Bills are looking right now against the best of the best in the AFC, they would be a six or more point favorite against all of those teams. I will say one thing, though. I do not think that these Bills are a team that relies on home cooking. I know I personally have compared them to the Indianapolis Colts of the Peyton Manning years in the 2000s. I do think there's a lot of similarities there. One thing about those Colts is they were a team that was very much built to play in the indoor fast track environment of Indianapolis. And you saw some of that get exposed when they had to go to New England and play in bad weather. I, I think this is a Bills team that travels well. They smashed the Rams in LA. They just beat the Ravens in Baltimore. And it took about 12 flukes in a row to lose a, a road game in Miami. This is a Bills team that can certainly go on the road in the playoffs and make noise if they have to. But I think we all agree we would love to see the playoffs go through Buffalo. Luca, one more big picture conversation I want to have quickly today is we talked about, you talked a little bit about Shakir. He was just one of many rookies who stepped into big roles today, whether it was injuries or whether it was circumstances. Khalil Shakir had a touchdown. Kair Elam had an, an up and down day. We'll get into it, but he did have a big interception and he's been holding down a starting cornerback spot now that the Bills are down some numbers there. And another rookie that I think some of us thought was going to get an opportunity to start today uh, with Tremaine Edmonds being out was Terrell Bernard. That did not turn out to be the case. And I think a lot of fans may have been surprised by that. 
I tweeted this out from our podcast account before the game. And I'll just tell you, like, for the most part, I do most of the tweeting from our podcast account, but I try to be very conscious of the fact that I don't want to tweet something out from our account if I don't feel pretty good about the fact that Luca co-signs on this. And I know I'm not going to get a hold of him on an NFL game day, like in the pregame situation today. <laughs> hey, Luca, what are your thoughts on Terrell Bernard? But we've talked enough offline to know that we are aligned on this thought. Terrell Bernard could become a very good NFL player. Luca and I are aligned, and I'll let you speak to your side of it, but we are aligned that we were not impressed with what we saw with him in the preseason. Seemed like he had slow eyes, slow read and reaction, and did not see somebody that looked to be a high-caliber athlete. It felt like there was just a little bit too much on his plate in preseason, and he just played slow. I was not surprised at all that Terrell Dodson got the call in the Tremaine Edmonds spot, and he had 11 tackles, including one for a loss. Luca, I know we talked about this, but any thoughts on Bernard being a surprise backup today? No, not at all. You you are absolutely right. Yeah, definitely don't try to hit me up last second on you know <laughs> pregame mornings. I'll probably yell at you saying, "No, I'm trying to figure out my anytime touchdown bets or over under lines." You know, I'm I'm too busy for that kind of crap. But no, so not surprised at all. Um, I'm with you 100. You you. We talked about this in the preseason. Absolutely. I just, I look at it as he's got a rookie mind right now, you know, and it just, he doesn't process things to the speed that is the NFL speed. He is still maturing at this point in time. He is a rookie mind. He's his rookie eyes. He's got rookie everything. His senses are just half a step behind everything. It seems like early on, but I'm, I'm not going to blame him for that. He is a rookie. He's He's not even a day one pick kind of deal where you'd expect him to be maybe quote unquote more NFL ready. He's just, he's going to probably take a little bit of time just getting up to speed, no pun intended, and just figuring out the NFL and what it takes to be that guy that hopefully he can eventually become. No, it's not a surprise at all. It's not a surprise at all that we saw Edmonds out and there you go, boom, a guy who's been in this dressing room, been in this organization was ready to step up and just kind of do his thing. And Tyrell Dotson had a great game. I mean, he he looked good. He looked the part of when you need him to just kind of fill his role, do his job, next man up philosophy, quote unquote. He did a he did the job he was asked to do and he did it well. Like he didn't do anything exceptional. It wasn't like, oh my God, like it's we're almost benching this guy and it seems like he could be a starter on 20 other teams. No, he looked good. He did his role. He did his part. Hopefully Edmonds is back and we get that, you know, freak back out there and just doing his thing again. You know, heal up, buddy. But Dodson did the job when called upon in a time of need. And that's awesome. Like performances like that will give this coaching staff as the season progresses more thought on being, I don't want to say cautious because it's almost like a negative feel to it, but just side on the side. Be on the side of caution, I'll say it, F it. Be on the side of caution with injuries and question marks and stuff like that because they know they have dependable players behind these individuals that can step up and fulfill a role. I mean, another guy that you didn't bring up, because he's mainly not a rookie and stuff, and that's kind of how you tied this all together, but DeMar Hamlin today looked as best as he has now that he's been asked to step up and be that regular-time guy with Micah Hideout. and. Boy, what he just the as every game has passed now, what you know, and I know you remember me messaging you like, oh, here's a couple of safety guys I kind of would have an eye on if you wanted to trade for someone by the deadline. I'm already at the point, man, where you're just like, let Demar Hamlin roll. F it, man. He's doing a great job out there. 
It's just another guy stepping up that we clearly just didn't really need to step up until this point, but he's doing his job and doing it great. And it's awesome. It just builds such a confidence, especially that it's guys that have been around the organization for a little bit that are finally seeing reaping the rewards of kind of waiting their time and just doing their thing. And now finally seeing the success that is coming in this season that we all know is it's essentially one of the biggest seasons in this organization's history. And these guys are now becoming a part of it. And that's awesome. It's, it, it gives this coaching staff again, just that nice warm feeling that if say, um, you know, we have this issue at linebacker or we have another, you know, knock at safety or whatever the situation may go, you have these individuals with even some game experience that are then able to come back in, do their jobs, keep the boat afloat, do their thing and try to get us to week after week after week to when we finally get to the end goal at the playoffs where, look, I'm not going to say this in any negative way where we hope we don't need them, but even in a situation in the playoffs, if you need them to step up, there is not going to be any lack of confidence in it, especially if it happens mid game and you're like, oh crap, we just lost, you know, Edmonds. What are we going to do? You're going to feel confident with Dotson just coming in and doing his thing. Like hopefully like in, I'll say it this way too. If the situation comes in the playoffs and Dotson all of a sudden is like takes a couple, he gets beat a little bit early. It's not something to be upset about. He, maybe he's just got to get in the field of the game. But once he does, then hopefully you see a performance like what you saw this entire game here. You never know. But yeah, um, to go into it too, I you know I'm taking a lot of minutes here. But Khalil Shakir, uh, yeah, no, he he just in one game he did have one drop. Uh, I will point out that wasn't the greatest. I, I remember at one point just going, oh, man, you can't be dropping that ball. But other than that one moment that I know just blips into my head, Shakir had an awesome game. He popped. He he is the gadget. He is the utility. He is also just a great receiver that I hoped he would be and that Brandon Bean seemed to paint that picture for us when he said we would have taken him with that fourth-round pick if it was there anyways. And he just luckily fell to our fifth. That's the confidence and the the great feeling you get with him. And he is unscratchable. I hope, I hope he is unscratchable at this point. Even when McKenzie comes back, even when Crowder comes back, this Shakir is gonna probably, I would imagine, do more and more as time goes and games pile up. That one, as a returner, he's reliable. And two, he has shown enough on this offense when he's given the opportunity that he is someone that we can ask and call upon to do good things for this offense and advance the ball and be just yet another weapon that the thought came into my head where, and it's just another name that I thought we would even be able to avoid. I, I do see it on the notes though here. Uh, do you just scratch Zach Mosco two running backs and just have Shakir active when everyone's healthy? Because like this guy gives you all this offensive upside and I have my hand held real high on camera. And then Zach Moss gives you absolutely nothing. My hand is off camera. Absolutely nothing. He is a net negative, essentially. Oh, he can pass protect. Oh, he can give other players a breather. That is not a positive. There is nothing good about that. That doesn't provide anything for you. So if I have a guy like Khalil Shakir that is an offensive player, and I'm just going to point it out that way, an offensive player that can provide a lot of dynamicism to – is that a word? I just said It that. works. Even, eh, whatever. Is a dynamic player that can provide something different for this offense – that maybe you need at any point in time when other offensive weapons aren't working. Guess what? Zach Moss, you already know, won't do that for you. And you have Singletary and now James Cook, thank God, getting in the end zone, showing that maybe he can be something for you. Just have them active. 
don't waste your time with Zach Moss and just have Khalil Shakir and seven right wide receivers active on game day because and look spoiler alert also Khalil Shakir at Boise State did line up in the backfield he has some sort of understanding of how to work back there he is an OW an offensive weapon he can be used everywhere I'm also going to call this one out because I'm curious to see your take on this just a fun little fact at one point in time in my living room an individual with the first name starting with N, as we know him, mentioned Khalil Shakir might be a better wide receiver than Isaiah McKenzie. Just saying, I'm not saying that, but it's just when that thought comes in your head, and this is why I wanted to bring up, when that thought comes into someone's head with a very limited amount of you know information that you see that is Khalil Shakir in a moment that you don't have McKenzie, it just gives you that confidence like, so why isn't he always active? Why isn't he just another available option for this offense every game day, even at full health. Because if you can see that clear as day, that he is good to go, yeah, he should be there. He shouldn't be scratched. And what the heck are we going to do with this going forward? It's a great problem to have. Um, we can dive more into Kyrie Elam. I want to kick it back to you real quick. I took a ton of airtime there. No, you're good. But yeah, Khalil Shakir deserves all the props, and he is now not scratchable. Proud of Dodson. And... Yeah, I mean, Kyrie Elam, we'll, we'll get into more, but I want to kick it back to you because I'm just curious on your follow-ups with a couple things. So you said a lot, and I do have, I want to say a couple things real quick. So I, I want to talk about Shakir here in a second. Uh, first of all, you, you mentioned DeMar Hamlin. I want to give credit to Stokes, who is kind of the third man on this podcast. He, he tags in whenever we have a situation where one of us can't be here. The day the Bills drafted him in 2021, Stokes texted me that day, and this was day three of the draft, and he's like, yeah, I really think we got a good player in, in DeMar Hamlin. And Stokes is not somebody that lives in Homerland. He's usually somebody that's pretty level-headed with things. So when he goes out of his way to tell me that DeMar Hamlin could be something really special, and a lot of his reasoning was the fact that he's going to be brought up under Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott, which is just something we've seen defensive backs become the best versions of themselves time and time again. I think the fact that DeMar Hamlin looks this good with his read and recognition skills is such a good sign early on. It makes me feel so much better about the Bills having to survive life after Micah Hyde. Okay, so there's that piece. Let's talk about Khalil Shakir in the sense, first of all, about what you said about Zach Moss, because I could spend an hour on my frustrations with Zach Moss, and I know you could too. I don't want to do that. This is a happy show. Quickly, though. There is no need to have Zach Moss active on game day. One, he offers nothing to the team offensively. We've seen it time and time again. There's no explosion to his game. He doesn't make people miss. Zach Moss in his pre-draft interviews said, I want to make defensive backs that want to tackle me make a business decision, which is his way of saying, if you try to tackle me, you have to prepare yourself that you might get hurt. Well, Zach Moss, he's not making guys make business decisions. Today in the open field, he slipped and a defensive back could just put his hands on him and tag him down, tag, you're it. Zach Moss hasn't made anybody make business decisions. He's not a good player. Third, even if you want to pretend that Zach Moss is worthy of being on an NFL roster, which I don't think he is, let's go ahead and pretend that he is. Let's talk about the Buffalo Bills. Today, in a day where they scored 38 points, they had 10, 10 carries from running backs. I'm sorry, 11. I, one was Zach Moss. 11 carries from running backs. Devin Singletary had six. James Cook had four. Zach Moss had one. You do not need three active running backs to divide up 11 carries. The whole reason you have more than two running backs active is if you're going to be a run-heavy team. The Bills last year only had two running backs active for a particular game. It was either Singletary and Moss or Singletary and Breida. 
I think they can absolutely go back to a world where it's Singletary and Cook. Do not forget Taiwan Jones is a special teamer and he can get you out of a game at running back if you have a couple of injuries. The third point, the point that Luca brought up, Khalil Shakir is a guy that dotted the eye sometimes in college. Again, if you get to a situation where you have a couple running backs go down and then Taiwan Jones goes down, you, you have Cook, Singletary, Taiwan Jones active, and those three all go down, you can put Shakir in the backfield if you feel the need to hand off at that point. But I think the Bills at that point, whether it's late third quarter, early fourth quarter, can just commit to passing the rest of the game and probably feel pretty comfortable doing so or even have Josh Allen do some quarterback sweeps. The long, long way of saying Zach Moss is a wasted active at this point. I 100% endorse everything you said about Khalil Shakir being active over him. Let's set Zach Moss to the side and have a larger wide receiver conversation now. Gabe Davis put a stamp on himself today. If you doubted him because he was playing hurt, I, I think that's a miss on your part. I think the people who doubted him were not the ones who watch the Bills every week. I think they're the fantasy analysts that wanted to that had a, an opinion of Gabe Davis that he was being overrated in fantasy football based off of scoring four touchdowns in a playoff game. It's an easy data point to look at and think, oh, people are going to overdraft him because he played big under the bright lights and he just is not somebody that's produced that much in his career where people like Luca and myself and people that watch the Bills know it's not so much about the fact that he scored four touchdowns in a playoff game. It's about the fact that he's no longer playing second fiddle to John Brown, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders. He is the unquestioned number two receiver in a high octane pass first offense. And he is going to be the second target in that offense. It had very little to do with the Kansas city game and much more to do with the opportunity. So for the people that were saying four games in, aha, we were right about Gabe Davis. He was playing hurt. I don't think it's a knock on him that he was playing hurt, but I understand now why players decide not to play hurt because they don't get any credit for playing hurt. Instead, it's like, hey, he's not catching the ball. He went out there today and absolutely balled out. I expect him to be a high level number two. Let's get on to Khalil Shakir now, because that's the whole point that you brought back to me. I understand that I'm a huge Isaiah McKenzie fan. I'll put my hand up and say, I love this dude. He makes clutch catch after clutch catch. He's a great weapon in this offense. I am not in a hurry, no matter who comes back from injury, to see Khalil Shakir out of this offense. I love what he brought to the table. I love what he brings to the table. To me, it kind of seems to be a lot of what Isaiah McKenzie brings, Luca, with some of the run-after-catch potential, but in a different way. He's a stronger player, and it seems a little bit more sustainable, and he wins with size. He also, to me, has enough speed that the offense just feels a little bit more vertical when he's out there, the way he can win with size and speed. So when you, when you add it all up, I don't think it's going to be a situation where he takes Isaiah McKenzie's job. I think what'll probably happen is he takes Jamison Crowder's job, which was essentially a, a sharing of the slot duties with Isaiah McKenzie. And I think that's a perfect spot for Khalil Shakir to be in. And I will kick it back to you on this. The one thing that will get a receiver out of this offense is if the franchise quarterback doesn't trust him. And the one thing we learned about Khalil Shakir today was the franchise quarterback absolutely trusts him. He threw one into triple coverage. He threw that one. Um, and after the drop, by the way, so this is important after the drop on third down, Allen does the floater to Shakir and he comes back, makes, makes a good catch on a ball that was underthrown for the touchdown. Um, just great to see. He has Josh Allen's trust. I agree with you, Luca. There's no chance he's going to be inactive the rest of the year. I think Crowder's going to be out long enough term that he's going to have to be back there from a kick return standpoint, no matter what. 
But just from an offensive standpoint, I don't see a reason. I don't have any appetite to see him not be one of the top four or five targets in this offense. Yeah, absolutely. He, you know, I said it before and I'm just going to keep saying it. Like he is a guy that easily showed the trust point is a great one. Actually. I, I'm honestly mad at myself for not pointing it out. Yes, he has that drop. Boom. Allen comes right back to him. There is clearly something that Allen likes with Shakir, and he wants him to just keep getting his hands on the ball and see what he can do. And he and Shakir even proved it that, hey, that one drop, it stunk, but here I am. Here I'm going to keep being a reliable target for you. Um, yeah, he Khalil Shakir is a is a top five receiver now for the Bills. Like he, he is he is in that rotation. He should be one of those guys that just brings his own unique thing, what you said, run after catch with almost a little bit of a physicality while also still having that gear to him that is allowing him to break it a little bit in that second level and, you know, while he's in the secondary and just take whatever he can get and some, right? He's not, say, track speed, but he's still a great speed when it comes to the NFL and he can make a lot out of whatever's put in his hands and done for him. Um, he. Khalil Shakir, I yes, he is above Jamison Crowder to me. J, he makes Jamison Crowder very kind of specific slash gimmicky slash. I'm trying not to be what the word, what's the word, expendable. I guess mm-hmm. he makes kind of. He's almost now. Crowder is one of those pieces that you can have in the room, and he can do a lot of reliable things for you, and be that guy in the slot to manage, you know, and get whatever you can for him, but also. He's not going to be the guy you call upon in a lot of situations where Shakir can provide a lot of things. Obviously, Diggs and Davis, as we keep always bringing up, are your number ones and twos. And McKenzie, yes, I don't want it to seem like I was insinuating our friend or even myself that he is now kind of second fiddle to this rookie coming in. It's just a point that a guy that we have these feelings about and have an understanding and has shown that he's a proven commodity in the sense of when you need him to step up and when you need him to make plays, especially when you're thin at the receiver position, McKenzie has shown that he can do that. Now you have another guy that you even question the sense of, do we really miss McKenzie or do we just find yet another offensive weapon that can provide you just a different dynamic to this offense and get the production, which is always the end thing you need in something, positive production, just give you the production that you miss when McKenzie is out because it was clearly there. Let's just absolutely point that out. The production you would have gotten in this game from Isaiah McKenzie was absolutely provided to you by Khalil Shakir. I mean, think about this stat line right now. Five targets, three catches, 75 yards, and a touchdown. Isaiah McKenzie has not had numbers like that this season, but he's still given a production of that one score and a few targets on design plays or just, you know, when you need it kind of situation earlier this year. And he has picked up those scores or done what you've needed him to do that you honestly wouldn't have even noticed that Isaiah McKenzie wasn't playing in this game overall if you just look at the raw numbers. So he cannot be scratched. He cannot be removed from this offense. He is a guy moving forward that needs to be seeing snaps and seeing the ball. I want to see Khalil Shakir getting opportunities designed for him, I guess is the way I want to put that, just as much as someone like Isaiah McKenzie. If you can have two guys like that, that I truly kind of that quote-unquote gadget 
kind of that offensive weapon you really want to just get them the ball a few times to get them in space or just try to create something if you have two of those things and they bring their own unique spin to it and their own style and dynamic abilities to that end result wow that is just it's so crazy to think how you now have you know the two that we all know Diggs and davis and now those two you know, we'll call them the inside receivers at three and four, but you have four receivers now effectively that can all provide big time plays for you. Think about how many other teams in the NFL have four receivers, four that can produce big time plays for you and be called upon to be very dependable and even leaned on when needed. Cause I'm pretty sure Khalil Shakir is about to be in that, you know, category here. And I think the answer to that question, by the way, of any other team in the league with that, the answer is effectively zero. Like, you are not going to find that. You might have teams with two. You have teams like tonight, the one that's playing right now as we record, the Cincinnati Bengals that have three receivers that really could be viewed as dependable. And they could be the best three receivers in the NFL on a team. But now the Bills have a situation where the Khalil Shakir as a four, if he keeps showing what he showed today moving forward, they could be the best four deep receiver core in the NFL, or at least be in that conversation where you have now these four guys that can all just jump up and play and just really produce when needed. Because it, the happiest person with this whole conversation should be Stefan Diggs. Because Stefan Diggs doesn't feel like it's all on his shoulders. He can still produce. He can still have a great game. I mean, Diggs had 11 targets, eight catches, 102 yards, and a touchdown. That's a great day for any receiver in the league. And I bet you he didn't feel like there was any weight on his shoulders one bit. He wants the ball if he can get it, but also he knows he has plenty of weapons around him, even just in that receiver room, that will be able to step up and just make his life super, super easy. Yeah, the Bills gambled this offseason, if you think about it. They let Cole Beasley go, they let Emmanuel Sanders go, and they really, outside of Jamison Crowder, did not make – a move to bring in that veteran receiver. They relied on guys like Gabe Davis, guys like Isaiah McKenzie, a draft pick in Khalil Shakir, a guy like Dawson Knox, guys they've either been developing in their system for multiple years to ramp them up for a bigger role or drafting a receiver and getting him ready for a bigger role. And that's where I want to go to this next point of this discussion, Luca, because the Bills won 38-3 to today with, with missing five starters on defense. Now you can kind of say four or five. If you want to consider Christian Benford a starter, that would make it five, but Tredavious white, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Tremaine Edmonds, and then Christian Benford all missing on the offensive side of the ball. We talked about Isaiah McKenzie out and Dawson Knox out this team. I don't know if people really appreciate or understand how rare their depth is on this team that the rash of injuries they have had this season, their injury list is almost comical when you look at how many names are on it every week. And for the most part, the names on the list have been missing games. And the Bills just keep trucking along. And they won a game against Baltimore last week in Baltimore against a team that many people think could challenge the Bills for the number one seed. They throttled the Pittsburgh Steelers today, down essentially half their starters on defense. This team is loaded. Brandon Bean has built it so smartly from top to bottom that they really can withstand an injury at almost any position outside of quarterback, but most teams can't. And I want to have one more discussion now about rookies because this kind of light bulb went on in my head when thinking about some of the rookies on this team and then kind of comparing it to 
some of the draft picks that Brandon Bean has had in recent years, and then looking back at the drought. So when you look at some of the guys the Bills have drafted under Brandon Bean that have come into their own on the Bills and really become impact players for this team, obviously Josh Allen. We'll set him aside for this conversation because that's a little bit unfair when you have a quarterback that becomes one of the best players in football. But Dawson Knox, Ed Oliver, uh, Deion Dawkins, Spencer Brown. Uh, I'm just doing this off the top of my head. Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano. I know he wasn't technically under Brandon Bean, but it was McDermott Bean. Tredavious White, same thing. So just so many names of import, Devin Singletary, important players, Gabe Davis, that have come in and maybe they didn't start right away. Like think about someone like a Dawson Knox. Like he was the starting tight end right away, but he was really a gadget player for the first couple of years of his career, splitting time with guys like Tyler Croft. And then year two, year three, he really blossoms into a really good weapon. Gregory Rousseau and Boogie Basham are in a rotation last year, and now Rousseau looks like a budding star. Devin Singletary, first couple of years of his career, were like, I don't know what we have in this guy. And then late last year, it's like, is he one of the best players on our offense? Um, similar to Gabe Davis, where he's always ready to come in in a pinch, but isn't a starter his first couple of years. And now he looks like somebody you absolutely can't imagine this offense being without Luca. I feel like the way, and I maybe am guilty of this too. You look at the NFL draft and it's like, okay, it's so much better to pick in the top of the draft. You have, you have a top five pick. You're going to get a top five college player. We did a pre-draft show. You can go look in our archives. We did a mock draft for the entire league. We talked about the Sauce Gardeners. We talked about the the Brees Halls. We talked about all the players the Jet the Jets got, and we've seen through years of the Bills. The Bills had top ten pick after top ten pick in the drought, taking guys like Dante Whitner, Aaron Maben, Leotis McKelvin, Mike Williams, and mixed bag of results. Some guys that looked like they couldn't even play in the league. Some guys that did okay, but for the most part didn't become stars with the Bills. I had this thought today, Luca, and I want to see what you think of it. What the Bills lack today in premium picks because they don't pick high in the draft. They gain from having a situation where rookies don't have to come in and be the man. When the Bills drafted Mike Williams three overall, they were an awful football team. And it was like, buddy, you have to come in day one, be the best offensive lineman on our team and be the reason why this franchise quarterback drew Bledsoe, we just trade a boatload of picks and money for is clean. And Mike Williams folded. He was a terrible football player. Was it because too much was expected? I don't know. But when you compare that to, say, a guy like Greg Rousseau, who the Bills pick at 30, and it's like, hey, you're going to join a team where you're part of a rotation. You're going to play about half the snaps. You're going to split time with guys like Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes. And then maybe by year two, you'll be ready to take on a more prominent role. And then you see him excel. Same thing with Dawson Knox. Leotis McKelvin, hey, day one, you're a starter. Hey, Lee Evans, day one, you're our number one receiver. We have Eric Moulds on the twilight of his career. You need to be the guy. Um, EJ Manuel, you're the starter, day one. It's just a different world now where the Bills draft these guys, and it's almost like an expectation of anything we get out of you year one is a bonus. And even look at a guy like Kair Elam. There was no plan for Kyir Elam to be a starter year one. It was Tredavious White and Dane Jackson and Kyir Elam. And then Christian Benford was a great surprise under the Christmas tree. But it was a situation where Kyir Elam was going to fight for snaps, maybe with Dane Jackson and just rotate in and get his feet wet. And then now he's in a situation where he has to play more than they may be expected. I don't know, Luca. I just have a different perspective now thinking that the Bills have built such a strong program 
where they are in a situation, almost no matter what position they draft, they are so insulated with talent that whatever rookie they draft doesn't have to come in right away and be the man. And you talked about Terrell Bernard was was just had too much going on in his mind. He had that that rookie thing going on where he just was seeing too much and it was slowing him down. The Bills don't have that situation with their rookies unless injuries call for it because they don't expect their rookies to come in and carry things. They just expect their rookies, if they have to play, to be part of the machine. And that machine is almost never built on how rookies play. Yeah, this machine does not need to depend on premium picks. This machine does not need to depend on that solo play outside Josh Allen, of course. But that solo play of really anyone else you're bringing into it and trying to just improve the team overall. I I do think the credit needs to be just thrown as you already kind of delivered there to being in McDermott and the ability to isolate individuals in college and what they're doing at that level and just know that that talent, that skill set, everything that they can provide is something that this organization needs to ramp it up another gear, another go up another step towards the ultimate goal that every team, all 32 organizations are working towards, and that is winning a championship. And they have now put themselves in that position in this era where, as you mentioned, you draft a Gregory Rousseau, you draft a Kair Elam, and Kair Elam, I feel like on the surface, was viewed by some fans or maybe a good, you know, say 50% of fans that, oh, it's addressing an uh, immediate need and a future need, right? It's it's kind of one of those things where like, oh, what a twofer kind of deal. And in reality, it kind of was probably, and it really was, was best player available on their board, someone they like to fulfill a role going forward to, again, bring them up another step and bring them to a place that hopefully we can be in winning a championship and fingers crossed multiple championships in the future. You do not draft for immediate needs. We talked about this on, you know, draft shows, you going up to it afterwards, all that things, all teams, hopefully don't draft for immediate needs. That's a very, you know, tunnel vision mindset that you should never do because that can get you into big, big trouble. And Kyer Elam isn't that. He's just a cog in the machine that is needed to bring us up another gear. Unfortunately for us, we are in the situation where maybe he's been asked upon to you know, do a job a little bit more than if a Trey White was healthy, that what he would have been doing there. You know, Most likely, from what we've experienced with this organization and McDermott and Brandon Bean at the helm, if Trey White was healthy... I don't think we're talking about Kyrie Elam getting more than 40% of snaps, right? You know, you, you have Dane Jackson over there, and then you're probably bringing in Kyrie at times to then just fulfill a role, do a job, whatever it is, whether it's for breathers or whatever, you know, packages, whatever the case may be, right? He's coming in in certain situations, and they're going to try to do what they can in maximizing what he can provide for them and then also work on the future that is hopefully this gem they can really shine up and will become that elite player they hopefully projected him to be when they sat him down in that draft room pre-draft interview, right? This is not something they thought about when they were interviewing him and were like, this is a guy that can come in day one and we really need to step up. It's like, no, they that was not the mindset with him. That was not the mindset with the Gregory Rousseau. It's like, we love what you can bring to the table. We love what you can do for this team and this organization. Yes, 
hopefully it'd be awesome if you could give us something right out the gate or in your entire year one. But also like, hey, we know you need time to get up to the NFL speed. We know you're going to come in here and we are looking for you to be a guy for us for the future as well. We're not going to jeopardize that because we need something maybe this year out of you, right? They're not going to just throw Kyrie Elam to the fire unless, I mean, obviously in certain situations we've experienced this year, we kind of had to, you know, injuries and things of that nature have forced our hand a little bit more than we would have liked, of course. But I hate saying we, by the way, but the Bills have had that situation where that is kind of the, you know, where they lay. But luckily, when asked upon, he's done a good enough job, right? If I looked at Kyrie Elam this season and I look at Gregory Rousseau last season, and he's definitely taking a step up this year where this is not where I have my mindset at anymore. It's similar to what we discussed earlier with Tyrell Dodson. It's like you want to be confident in this individual that they can come in and do their job when called upon. I'm not asking for you to be exceptional. The expectation from me, and I think from them as well in that organization, is not, hey, I need you to be that top coverage corner out of your rookie class right now. I don't need you to be that top defender in the rookie class right now. I don't need you to be an elite cover corner right out the gate. That may be teams like the Houston Texans with Derek Stingley or the New York Jets with Sauce Gardner are expecting out of those guys because like you said with the Bills in years past, those teams are in situations that they fell upon picking at those points because they're having bad times and they need to turn things around immediately and those are the guys that can hopefully for them do it. Kyrie's not that. We just need him to come in and do a job, do his job as best as he can. Will problems come up? Will issues happen? Yes. If you think it's bad that Kyrie Elam or even like last year, rookie Rousseau, you know, was having issues, struggles, whatever it may be, and this is not a good look for them, it's pretty crazy to criticize them. You just need them to do their job and be part of, as you called it, and I call it too, the machine. You need them to be part of the organization. And just do a job for us that you're not jeopardizing everything, hopefully. If you do, then obviously something needs to happen, you know, whether it's, you know, in the film room because he's just not seeing things right. If it's just athletically, he's not up to speed in the NFL and you just got to kind of try to try to get him going through practices. I don't know what you can do for that kind of situation. It just takes time, I feel like. Other than that, there's nothing you can do. But if they're jeopardizing stuff, Hopefully you just pull them back a little bit and do their thing. But ultimately, the ceiling is not the literal sky. The ceiling is just a more manageable expectation of just do your job and just be one of the guys out there. Be one of the 11 and make sure nothing too bad happens. And I think Brandon Bean, McDermott, with all the rookies, with all the draft picks you laid out, and more specifically, Kyer Elam and Rousseau last year, and Rousseau's now stepped up again, like I said, they are doing that, and that's just a testament to Brandon Bean and McDermott and this scouting staff and everyone just understanding the type of individual, the type of player they need to just bring in and just bring the defense or this team up one more step and just bring them up another level and to just get things going in the right direction to ultimately, hopefully, get us to our end goal. 
Well, let's talk about quickly from the view from the other sideline, because we did have a rookie quarterback in Kenny Pickett make his first career start today. I thought there were some good. It's hard to really praise somebody when the offense puts up three points in four quarters. Kenny Pickett's final stat line was 34 of 52 for 327, zero touchdowns and interception. And he did add 10 yards rushing. I feel like he had a little bit more scrambles than that. Maybe I am just remembering that wrong. Um, Luca, what were your thoughts of Kenny Pickett? He's a guy that you and I in the pre-draft process both viewed as a guy that didn't have necessarily the elite qualities, attributes to warrant a first round pick. Um, we both understood why the Steelers did it because this was not a great quarterback class. He does have those Pittsburgh ties. You know, it, you understood why the pick was made. Um, but I, I came away impressed with Pickett. I'll, I'll tell you that. Like I, I had low expectations for what he was going to do today. Um, I feel like his arm strength was a little better than I expected it to be. Not anything spectacular, but a little better. I thought his mobility, both within the pocket, extending plays and rolling out. And then on the one scramble, I thought I remembered more was better than I thought it would be. If I'm a Steeler fan, yes, you lose 38 to three. It's going to sting. I feel like I at least can go to bed tonight knowing that we're, we're better than we were with Mitch Trubisky, I think. The Trubisky thing was going nowhere. That was a dead end. You're no longer on a dead end. You have now decided to open this mystery box and see what's in the mystery box. And now you know going into next draft if you do need to draft a quarterback or not. Because one thing I think we can both agree on the Steelers is they have weapons around the quarterback if they can solve the offensive line issue. What were your impressions on Kenny Pickett today? Did he impress you? And how would you be feeling if you were a Steelers fan? I mean, it's his first start. It's in Buffalo against, I'm going to say potentially, the best defense in the NFL once again. You're not going to have, or you hopefully didn't have, high expectations coming into this. That is, what I just mentioned about not throwing a rookie into the fire, that is pretty much throwing a rookie into the fire. That's that's not, they shot to Kenny Pickett's family who is in Orchard Park today, understandably, it's you know, it's his first career start. You have to be there. They look pretty miserable. They don't look like they're coming back to Western New York anytime soon. They did not enjoy their experience here. Um, sorry, Pickett's. Uh, have a fun, safe drive back to Pittsburgh or wherever you may be. Um, he looked okay. I'm not going to say he looked good. I'm not going to say anything positive. Early on, it's the scripted stuff. We've talked about it plenty of times. These are the plays that the offensive coordinator works with the offense the most during the practice week, this is the game plan early on. This is what we want to execute. This is where you need to go. You kind of, you basically had a week long to walk through Kenny Pickett in this offense for that opening drive and some maybe, right? And to that point, he did a good job executing the designed and scripted plays to get them down the field, ultimately ending in a field goal. Um, it was safe. It was easing him in. Not surprising, it's a rookie, again, on the road, first career start. You're not going to exactly start taking shots on the field. Not every rookie is Patrick Mahomes, okay? Not every rookie is that guy that, after one practice, you have even Andy Reid going, oh, shit, I think we found a better quarterback than we thought, right? It's not that situation for, every, for everyone else. You're going to ease them in. You want them to feel comfortable as much as possible and just – make them feel like they can do something so that as the game develops, hopefully for them, if the game is still close, 
you can maybe try to push the limit a little bit, see what they got and all that fun jazz. Unfortunately for Pickett and very fortunately for us, this game got out of hand really quick and there really was nothing he could do about it. Um, He did have good mobility. I'm not surprised by that. Kenny Pickett's the infamous quarterback, by the way, that last year, I believe it was, maybe it was two years ago, that did the old fake slide and keep running all the way for a touchdown. That was a very long run. Yeah. It was, you know, he... He did a great job with that, the fake slide old thing. Um, yeah, that was a little cheeky on his part. We'll call it that. It's cheating, but whatever. Um, <laughs> That's – DeMar Hamlin was on his team. Yeah. Yes, and DeMar, DeMar Hamlin, Hamlin hit him today on a slide. Yeah, yes, he did. Yes, there's a reason for it. And look, DeMar also came out and said, I would never play dirty. You're my guy, all that yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, no, that is – that's why you do it. Didn't man. even think that about is, it. That is why you do it, people. Ladies and gentlemen, Kenny Pickett is literally the reason defenders still keep coming in hot on quarterbacks. Look, at, Bill, look at Bill's chat. We we solved the mystery <laughs> live on the air. I, I I did not put that together. If he's the guy yeah. that you're saying did that in college because everybody remembers the play, then yep. he should never be trusted when he's sliding. Sorry, dude. You lost the benefit <laughs> of the doubt for one cool play for the rest of your career. I'm sorry. And he, and he, no, you're good. You're good. Yeah. He has that sneaky athleticism as broadcasters love to say, yeah. you know, sneaky athleticism. <laughs> he is a good runner. It's not a surprise to anyone that at least has seen him in college or any time he's had the opportunity. Um, what I will say is if you take that aside and take away those things, because I feel like a lot of rookies out there, they're not all Davis Mills. They're not all statues. That's just not the, you know, that's not the current quarterback that's coming up through the system you have to be mobile you have to be able to at least move around because I, th- I will say this offensive line play and this is going to kind of go into this offensive line play is just deteriorating the poor Pittsburgh Steelers do not have an offensive line I don't know how you correct that if you don't have one right now because there's another game that I I, I don't mean to bleed into this but it kind of comes in the head like you have to be mobile you can't be a statue because offensive line play sucks and then you have games like Arizona and Philadelphia, where I am almost positive. There, I don't. I, I wish I like had a stop, like a click around me. There was over twenty screens called, and I'm almost positive the reason combined that the Eagles. There was an entire drive for the Eagles, by the way. The Eagles and the Cardinals called at least twenty screens is because the offensive line play is so bad. The Eagles are also, by the way, one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. And the reason you're calling these screens is because you cannot trust a quarterback to sit back there and just dice up all the time. It just doesn't happen anymore in the NFL. Now bring it back to the Steelers. You need a guy like Kenny Pickett who could at least move around to create stuff for you. The problem with today is I didn't really see much of that out of him. He was exactly what I expected. He can move around. He can do some things with his feet. He has ability in him to get the ball where it needs to go. But kind of the circumstances need to be right. It needs to be working for him. What I will say is the good thing for him is is that he has George Pickens out there and he has a great rapport and he's, there's something there. It's clear as day. He just, he was peppering them in preseason. And I remember looking at the target share going into fantasy drafts and a late round pick in a deep, deep league I'm in was, or helping with was George Pickens. And literally the thought I had was if Kenny Pickett comes in and plays, he becomes a wide receiver for starting on this lineup. The reason because he will get a ton of targets. And we saw that today, early on, when Kenny Pickett wanted to be comfortable, he was going to George Pickens time and time again. It wasn't like he wasn't going to Deontay Johnson either. It was just, 
it seemed like a lot of those, I'm just trying to get and move the chains kind of situation. George Pickens was the guy, and he has a rapport going on with George Pickens, who is a great, great, great wide receiver talent. Just hopefully the red flags that are attached to him, for Steelers fans' sake, do not linger and eventually derail his career. I think and hope, I never wish ill on anyone, I hope everything's fine there, and he is able to be long time with Kenny Pickett, and they are able to create this dynamic duo, we'll call it, you know, the Burrow and Jamar Chase kind of situation. Well, he's certain, but, he certainly has the talent, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. The talent's there. It's just is the mindset and the off-the-field stuff and just is he determined to really turn, make the career worth it in objective number one for him and understand that outside forces and even maybe internal stuff that he ever has to deal with is not a problem. You know, the practice fights or anything like that. Not trying to get into a George Pickens discussion here. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so overall to kind of wrap this up because I feel like I just rambled a bunch. Kenny Pickett was okay. I wasn't overly impressed. I don't think Steelers fans, you know, the last point you made, how should Steelers fans be feeling? I don't think Steelers fans should be upset. This is a game that your expectations hopefully were low enough realizing what team you were playing and what, you know, situation you were in that hopefully there's better times ahead in the near future for you because it wasn't going to be there today. And he kind of did the best he could with the very, very forehand he was dealt. The unfortunate part for Steelers fans is next up on the plate is a home date with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then, oh, wait, you got to go to Miami in prime time. And then, oh, wait, you got to go to Philly and play those Eagles that I just mentioned earlier who are still undefeated and have a pretty dang good defense themselves. So um, hopefully the Steelers didn't kind of jump the gun and bring in Pickett before they probably should have. But uh, you're in that world now. It's too late. And um, hopefully it goes up from that, we'll call it average performance today in Western New York. They have a lot of issues outside of the quarterback situation. You mentioned their offensive line is bad. I have my questions about Najee Harris. I liked him as a prospect. Um, the, obviously offensive line would trickle down to the running back struggling, but he does not look like an exceptional athlete to me. There were some times today when I went back and watched it, even in slow motion. And I was like, man, he really should make somebody miss here. And it was like DeMar Hamlin bringing him to the ground, which all respected DeMar Hamlin. But if you're Najee Harris, a first round running back, you have to make a backup safety on the bills miss to your point too, by the way, Najee Harris, 11 carries, 20 yards, 1.8 yards per carry. That's very, very concerning. It's the Bills, but very concerning. Jalen Warren, there were not rushes in garbage time. I want to make sure I point this. It was a lot more for Jalen Warren's purposes. He was catching a lot more in the garbage time, we'll call it. He went five carries for 24 yards, 4.8 yards per carry. And I say that because watching this game, I agree with you 100%. I don't want to steal too much. I'll kick it right back to you real quick. Najee did not impress me at all. He wasn't really able to do anything. Then they would bring in this Jalen Warren guy who seemed almost like a bowling ball athlete. Like he had a really thick body to him. You know, no disrespect. Thick in all the best ways possible, bud. I wish I had some athletic gifts that you have physically. But um, he looked good. He looked like he had pop. He looked like he was able to do something in this offense when handed the ball, you know, probably as he was giving Najee a break and stuff that, if you're a Najee fantasy owner or you're someone that just is a big Najee fan, I'd be very, very concerned. I don't think he is that athletically gifted as you want him to be. And a guy like Jalen Warren comes in and 
looked better to the uh, the casual eye that is me spectating a Steelers game, that's not a not not a good sign. Not a good sign at all. I'm. We'll get into this anytime you want to. Uh, first round running back conversation, particularly this off season. I, I have a sneaky suspicion we'll have that same conversation about the Bills again this off season. I'll just tell you quickly. I am not anti first round running back. What I do think is you have to be at a particular point of your team build to take one. And when the Steelers took Najee Harris in the first round, they had zero answers at quarterback beyond Big Ben, and they had no offensive line. So when you look at that, that is not a team that should insert a first-round running back. They decided to do so, and they are now seeing the pain of that. Uh, We wish them the best. I will say it is nice, though, to be on this side of it, Luca, because as Bills fans, if you're of a certain age, you can certainly relate to watching your rookie quarterback go out there, get throttled by an elite team, seeing the elite team's elite quarterback look like an elite quarterback and trying to draw positives from a game that netted three points. Like I'm thinking about J.P. Lossman going to Foxborough, and he wasn't a rookie that year, but the year that the Patriots were you know, 16-0 and and they lose 38-7, to or E.J. Manuel in some of those games, and um, where he, they just got blown out. I'm thinking even Josh Allen's rookie year where he goes to Lambeau field and they get shut out and you're like, man, like he has such a long way to go before, before you get to be on the same level as this next guy. But that is not our world anymore. And we don't have to live in that world for a long, long time. All right, Luca, let's put a bow on this Steelers game with a segment we like to call game balls and game checks. How this works is Luca and I are going to predict, or not predict, we're going to award one player each with the MVP of the game, and we're going to give that player our game ball. We're also going to pick a player on the Bills who did not play so well, and we are going to demand that they hand over their game check. Luca, I feel like I always make you go first, and that kind of eliminates your ability to call out multiple players. So what I'm going to do this week is I'm going to go first, and then I'll let you call out players because I have a feeling there's a chance we have the same game ball this week. Maybe um, that way you can call out some other guys that caught your eye uh, without playing spoiler. So my game ball to me feels kind of obvious, but Josh Allen, 424 passing yards, four passing touchdowns, added 42 more on the ground. Josh Allen had 347 yards and four touchdowns at halftime. This was an absolute clinic by quarterback one, a dominating performance. He put the team on his back and carried his team to victory. Not much more needs to be said. I know I said last week that you could give Josh Allen the game ball essentially every week. This week, he was just too good to look over. Other guys worthy of it, but to me, it goes to Josh Allen. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) of course, Josh. Josh Allen can get it every week, but also... He really deserves it this week. I, I think this was the over-the-top performance for him. Absolutely. Um, I appreciate going second. I can give some shout-outs. We kind of already did it, though, through this episode, just because it wasn't really that breakdown of the game. It was more of a just broader picture stuff. Khalil Shakir is a guy that, you know, just want to give an honorable mention to. First game really kind of being part of the offense, we'll call it, or at least knowing he will be part of it and game-planned in, and he did a great job. Um, defensively, you know, Tyrell Dodson, you mentioned definitely came in when we needed him and did his job. I also do want to say real quick, Ed Oliver had a high ankle issue and honestly, he looked great out there. I don't think he even came up on the box score. Like, I don't think he registered anything stat wise, 
but I made a comment in my living room and I just wanted to make sure I gave him an honorable mention. He looked great. He looked healthy. He looked fine. He looked like that jump was in his step. Maybe there was something there because, you know, the fact that he didn't come up on the box score, it, maybe he just didn't get to quite get to the tackles as fast as he would normally healthy wise, but he was there. He was healthy. He got through the game healthy. Big, big thing. And everything's good there. Now, my game balls, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give two away. So this is kind of like the NBC thing where they give away three total. I'm stealing two here. I cannot differentiate between these two. I need to call out both of these. And I'm going to leave the best for last because the first one I want to make sure I give a game ball to. We talked about him earlier. DeMar Hamlin deserves a game ball for today's performance. DeMar Hamlin stepping in and just getting better and better and being an all-around great safety for this defense is just such a gift that when Micah Hyde goes down and he's out for the year and 23 looking forward to year tw- you know 2023 to coming back, and we're all excited for that. We cannot wait to see Micah back on this defense. DeMar Hamlin is making me very, very, almost too, um, too comfortable <laughs> that he is coming in and being like, why the hell was this guy sitting behind two all-pro safeties and not doing anything? Awesome, awesome job today. And then, of course, you cannot not give a game ball to Gabe Davis. Like, it's just, you can't not do it. The 98-yard touchdown was awesome. Roasting Levi Wallace, making him realize, hey, thank you for all your years of service. Thank you for choosing Pittsburgh over us at the exact same deal. Let's not forget that, people. He basically chose Pittsburgh over us because he thought he'd get a better opportunity there. Have fun with Gabe Davis's cleats in your face. Uh, the second catch that he made, though, is really the reason he gets a game ball. That is an unbelievable ability by him to just one hand up, bring it in, and then not only bring it in with that one hand, but rip it away from Mika, who's making a great play on that, as you brought up. Everything you possibly could do defending that play just still made it happen, made sure it was a touchdown, and made sure this game was really starting to trend high and far away, and the blowout began from that point on. Gabe Davis and DeMar Hamlin, I am cheating. Two game balls. Sorry, just had to do it. Couldn't differentiate. I need to give each of them some little love after this. I don't know if we mentioned him yet on this show, but I do want to mention AJ Epinesa had a sack today. He has three and a half on the year. He's another player that's really, really ascending, I think, this year. Boogie Basham also has some good pass rush win win weight stuff going on. Uh, But AJ Epinesa playing really well, got ejected in this game for what I thought was a absolute ticky tack call by the ref where the ref was pushing him from behind and Epinesa spins around and, and it looks like Epinesa thought a player on Steelers were pushing him and he thought it's the ref and it was just a whole thing. You can see the video on Twitter, but another guy I want to call out is playing very well. Luca, we have not talked about this, but I'm about one more week away from wanting to cancel the name game check and then just calling it the Zach Moss award because I'm going to give my game check or demand the game check back from Zach Moss. And I got to tell you, as long as he keeps being active on game day and doing nothing but creating negative plays, he actually did have seven yards today, but it was seven yards on a play that was blocked perfectly. And if he made that defensive back make a business decision, could have gone for a very explosive run. Zach Moss, I need your game check back, buddy. You are not contributing anything on game day. And when the Bills have a very capable running back on their practice squad and Duke Johnson, it is time for you to hand in your game check. Yeah, this award's going to be rebranded as the Zuma or the Zach Moss Memorial Award. Um, this is just, yes, Zach Moss absolutely should be said. I'm just going to say it now. 
just because I don't want to pile on here. I mean, I would love to pile on Zach Moss. I would love, love to. But just because I want to point out another person, just for the hilarity in it all, Sam Martin, can you just, like, play for free, dude? <laughs> like, I, I'm sure he's loving life right now. He never has to do anything. And then when he does go out there, he's still doing a good job. I mean, two punts, 110 yards, long 61, averaging 55 per, obviously. Like, awesome. But, like, <laughs> dude... I mean, I feel like we could just put an emergency defensive player back there as our punter and just tell him, hey, boom, the crap out of it. If you shank it, you shank it, whatever. At least we're not paying for a punter. Maybe that's how you get Khalil Shakir out there when you want to just keep, for some reason, reason having Zach Moss on your active. You just scratch your punter. Hey, buddy, take a seat, collect your $750,000 or whatever the heck it is. Just don't even show up to the stadium because we're not punting. Even in a situation maybe where we find ourselves punting, we somehow find a way to turn it over or something happens that we're not punting the dang ball. Like, <laughs> it, just for the funny part of it all, Sam Martin, turn in your game check. I just, I don't want to name Zach Moss. Maybe next week we'll just call it the Zach Moss Memorial Award. So then Josh and I both have to come up with something else because, uh, yeah, it's either the Zach Moss Memorial Award or I think you even brought up Sam Martin the first game. It's like, yeah, it, as it, a joke, pick one or the other. Yeah, it's a joke. Like, it's that's what it is because everyone else stepped up, did a great job. I'm not going to use Kyrie. I just want to point this out real quick. I do want to say Kyrie Elam had a rough game overall in my eyes. I think when we see the stuff come out tomorrow or in the coming days, it's not going to be great. You know, when it comes to the PFF grades or just the overall metrics of everything. It's not going to be a great time. He did have that great interception, great ball control, and just the ability to grab that ball, his athletic ability we knew about. Um, I don't want to use this moment to kind of single him out. You expect a rookie corner in the NFL to have some growing pains. Not everyone is Patrick Peterson. Not everyone is even Trey White. Trey White was a pretty dang good rookie. Um just sometimes you have some bad days, right? It just, it, it happens. You're playing against great receivers, Deontay Johnson and uh, George Pickens. I'm not going to use this. So I would rather, as a joke, Sam Martin, turn in your game check, bud. Good job, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I think Kyir Elam um, got a little bit of an inflated day because of the interception. It was a very nice interception, by the way. Good body control, good ball skills. But overall, he did struggle today. But you know, give him credit. He's playing a full-time role and that was not what was expected. Um, so for Luca, it was Sam Martin getting the game check award. All right, let's look around the, the rest of the league here before we uh, wrap it up with a quick conversation about the chiefs right now, the Bengals and Ravens are playing on Sunday night football. It's winding down in the fourth quarter. The Ravens are holding a 16 to 10 lead. Interesting thing to point out here. The Ravens just had a fourth and goal from the one yard line, perhaps a bit shook from last week when they went for a fourth down against the Bills and ended up throwing an incomplete pass, they decided to play for a field goal. And now the Bengals have the ball down by six. I would have gone for a touchdown there. I always like going for a touchdown because even if it doesn't work out, they have negative field position unless Lamar throws an interception like he did last week. Uh, but it looks like the Ravens are overcorrecting for last week. And now they have a six point lead, but their Bengals have the ball. We'll see what happens in that game. In London, Luca, Brian Dable's Giants improved a four and one with a 27 to 22 victory over the Green Bay Packers. 
Um, you know, we're not going to talk about every game here, but obviously with the the Buffalo Bills connection with Brian Dable, everything about the Giants just works for me. I'm a big Saquon Barkley fan. I love seeing him dominate. He had 70 yards and a touchdown today. I love seeing Brian Dable and Joe Shane do well. The Giants are four and one, and right now they're just an easy team to root for. 1,000. Does this not start to really feel like Shane and Dable are building something and having a season in such an eerily similar way that McDermott Mm -hmm. and Bean had in 2017? Like, I just had to pull it up as you're talking because I did have this thought earlier, of course, and I've said it. Like, honestly, I think I've said this in my living room or wherever for multiple weeks now. It just seems like the, the most important objective here is winning culture. A lot of guys, especially with rosters or situations like the Giants, may go, hey, we want to focus on blowing this up. We're probably going to suffer for a little bit here in this first season. But there's a, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Work through a suffering. It's like, F that. No. The most important thing, and as someone that follows the Sabres very closely and dealt with the tanking years and all that kind of crap, the most important thing is building a winning culture. Because if you build a losing culture, things can go south very, very quickly, people. I know most people listening understand everything about that. And it is so toxic that it can cause issues. Let's pull aside there. Hockey season's upon us, by the way. Very, very excited. Um, they the Bills that 2017 started by the end of October, five and two, if you remember. Here are the Giants. We're in October. They're now four and one. And it really seems like they're gonna get to that point. Maybe they're gonna lose another one here, and then they're gonna get a win, and they're gonna be at that same five and two mark. And it's awesome. It, as you said, it's super easy to root for them. Dable is a rootable, you know, easy to root for a guy. Joe Shane, you want all the success for him. You want the Giants to be good. I feel like the NFL is a better place when the Giants are good. Uh, my in, future in-laws might hate me for saying that. They're Jets fans. Sorry. Um, but the Giants being good in the NFL is just good. By, when I say that, by the way, on, on the island and all that stuff, that's where they're from. Um, you're a Jets fan or you're a Giants fan and you don't really respect the other, it seems like. And it, it, honestly, there's a very good hatred. I'm sure people understand that. Hey, uh, hey understand Lucas, that. future in-laws, if you're listening, fast forward about 45 seconds and you're going <laughs> to really enjoy our show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we will get to that. Look, we will get to that. But Giants are when the Giants are good, the NFL is good. We want this. And Dable, like, did you see him jogging off the field too, Josh? Like, he was so pumped up, just getting jacked up. Like, let's Mm. go. It's awesome. Like, it gets people, we know Giants fans out there. Like, we know of some. It gets them so excited for this team that maybe even they see some things a little blindly, but it doesn't matter because that optimism for teams and fans like that of those teams has not been there for so long. You had David Gettleman. Did I say that right? David Gettleman. Yeah, yep. David Gettleman. He had put them in such a predicament that you you should never know the full name of your GM in such a horrible way. Like you should never be like, David Gettleman ruins my Mondays, right? Like yeah. David Gettleman is the reason I dread every week of football. Your GM should not have that power over you. And now you have Shane and Dable out there in the Meadowlands for the Giants doing a great job and it's super exciting you have guys like Saquon who is an awesome talent just continuously being a great player in this league and being a serious focal point for that offense where it's like obviously last week we discussed do you want to trade for him and stuff but if the Giants feel like they can build an offense and a winning culture with him around I don't think anyone would fault them I mean Dable seems to have an idea of what he can do with Saquon and maximize his output 
And it's all about can Saquon just stay healthy, of course. But it's great to see. The Giants are so much fun to watch. And boy, I am very much looking forward to Tuesday, Josh. I'm just going to wrap it up at this point. Aaron Rodgers Tuesday hmm. on the McAfee Show, although maybe it's Wednesday. Who knows? Because of the London travel, maybe that'll mess with stuff. Sometimes that has happened on the McAfee Show. But I am very, very, very much looking forward to Aaron Rodgers Tuesday because I am curious to see or hear what Rodgers has to talk about that game. Because in my mind, yes, the Giants won. But just as much as the Giants went out to win that game, which you have to do to build a winning culture, the Packers, the Aaron Rodgers-led Packers just completely let that game go away from them. Like, I cannot believe the Giants won that game still. They deserve to win that game, so I'm trying not to discredit them. But the Packers clearly just let that one get away. They just, I don't know. They shouldn't have been able to lose, or they shouldn't have lost that game. And um, yeah, very curious to see what Rodgers' take is on that. The Packers have not impressed. I apologize, Luca's in-laws. We have not gotten to the point that you're going to enjoy, but we will get to it very quickly. Um, the Packers have not impressed. They came within an eyelash of losing to Bailey Zappi and the New England Patriots last week at Lambeau Field. And really the most impressive thing they've done this year is win by two points in Tampa Bay. So they have to get it figured out, and the Bills will be seeing them relatively soon. One quick thing, though, I do want to talk about. Luca brought this up about tanking. And I am not a Sabres fan. I, I, you know, I'm not really a hockey fan. I root for the Sabres. I root for the Blues. That's my hometown team. But when the Sabres were tanking, I just kind of sat back and watched it from afar. And I just took it all in. And what I found interesting about that whole scenario was the the radio guys. And I, I didn't have a dog in this fight. That's a terrible analogy. But you know what I mean? I didn't have any interest in it. Um, but the, the, the guys like on the radio, WGR guys, the fans for the most part seem to be the vast majority into let's just blow it up, be as bad as you can get and either get McDavid or Eichel. And that, that was the goal. But it was to me interesting that the guys who were in the locker room, like the Paul Hamiltons on WGR, um, the Harringtons, I can't remember his first name. I know he's not a fan of Sabres fans. Uh, Mike Harrington, Mike Harrington with the Buffalo (laughs) news, but it was interesting to me, the Jerry Sullivan's even again, not a real popular name, (laughs) Um, but the guys who were in the locker room that interact with players were not in favor of the tanking. And that always stood out to me. Like, I wonder why that is. And is it because these guys always tend to go left when everybody else goes right? Or do they know something about the pulse of players? And as the Sabres have gone on, and look, this is my high-level view. We're not going to turn this into a Sabres discussion. The tank did not work out. Like they, <laughs> the, the culture of the Sabres like, hit an all-time low, and they're finally starting to rebuild it. And then you look at what was going on in Buffalo at a similar time with McDermott and Bean showing up, making the playoffs while also kind of tearing it down. I think what happens is we talked about this earlier with Khalil Shakir and Josh Allen, trust. Josh Allen trusts Khalil Shakir. When you have a coach like Brian Dayball who doesn't tank, who you know is trying to win, you get that trust from your players and they will lay it on the line for them. Because think about this from a player's perspective. If you're on a team that's tanking, you're probably not going to be there to reap the reward of the end game of the tank. If you're Saquon Barkley or Shepard or one of these players, Leonard Williams on the Giants, and if they're like, hey, we're just going to be really bad this year, we're going to try to go out there and lose games, and then we're going to try to get the best quarterback in the draft coming out. Great. You just lit a year of my career on fire. The average NFL career is four years. 
I'm not even going to be here when this rookie quarterback you draft is good enough to take us anywhere. You just wasted a year of my career. You see the reaction of these players when the Giants win. You see the the shot of Shepard and Barkley chest bumping Dayball after the two-point conversion in Tennessee. It's beautiful. I think there's a larger conversation to be had on tanking. I think there is value in getting the better draft pick. But when you do it in such an obnoxious way that the Sabres and maybe the Dolphins were trying to do under Flores, you can really set your culture on fire. And the the Giants, to me, are doing it the right way. Okay, let's talk about the Jets. The Jets win 40-17 to over the Miami Dolphins today, which puts the Bills in sole possession of first place. Uh, we're not going to get too much into this game outside of the fact that Lucas and my draft crush, Brees Hall, absolutely dominated today. But the story of this game was Tua was out already with a concussion. Teddy Bridgewater got knocked out on the first drive, and it was rookie Skylar Thompson who came in, played decently well, but the Dolphins really didn't have much of a chance. So now the Jets are in second place in the AFC East. The Dolphins are in third at three and two. And we're going to talk now about the Patriots who shut out the Lions 29 to zero with Bailey Zappi at quarterback. And the Patriots are now in fourth place at two and three. Uh, let's go quickly around the rest of the league. The Buccaneers improved to three and two with a 21 to 15 victory over the Atlanta Falcons. Do yourself a favor and Google Tom Brady roughing the passer and you will see one of the most egregious calls you've ever seen in NFL history. Luca, a lot of credit to you. Uh, I said last week the Jaguars were impressive, keeping it close to with the Philadelphia Eagles. Wow. You were raising your hand like, no, no, no. If you watch that game, it was nowhere near as close as it looked. And the Jacksonville Jaguars, who I was believing in last week, lost a home game today to the Houston Texans by a dominating score of 13 to <laughs> six to fall to two and three. And taking over first place in the AFC South is the Tennessee Titans, who won 21 to 17 in Washington. Carson Wentz throws an interception in the end zone with a chance to win the game. And also another fun game around the league. The L.A. Chargers get a 30 to 28 victory over the Cleveland Browns. Um, Just quickly, the Dallas Cowboys have now won four games in a row with Cooper Rush at quarterback. That's amazing. 22 to 10. I think their defense might be sneaky legit. And the Cincinnati Bengals have taken the lead over the Baltimore Ravens. If you heard Lucas celebrating in the background, that was his reaction to whatever the touchdown was. And then tomorrow night on Monday night football, the Kansas city chiefs host the Las Vegas Raiders at Arrowhead. Interesting, the Chiefs will be on short rest. Uh, Luca, we're going to get to the Chiefs in one second. Any thoughts on the out-of-town scoreboard? I One thing I take away from today is we thought the NFC, AFC West was going to be this, this juggernaut of a division, and that really hasn't lived up to the hype so far. The Broncos have looked awful. The Raiders, at best, have looked spotty, really not looking good. The Chargers up and down, and then the Chiefs are the Chiefs. I think maybe for where the AFC West has been disappointing, maybe the NFC East is becoming a division that's better than we thought. I'm not going to say the Giants are juggernauts. I'm not going to say the Cowboys are juggernauts, but it's not lost on me how good their defense has looked without Dak Prescott out there. The Giants are finding ways to win games, and the Eagles might be one of the most loaded rosters, 1-53 to in the entire league. So that's what stands out to me on the out-of-town scoreboard. What stands out to you on the out-of-town scoreboard around the NFL today? Uh, first and foremost, uh, luckily I had my mic muted. Um, I was actually gasping. 
all credit to Josh. He just read that hole off like a pro, just an absolute pro. Everyone around a pause real quick in your cards, wherever you are. Don't take your hands off the steering wheel. Um, I was all they the Bengals almost didn't take the lead. That kick went directly over the upright by maybe a foot. Oh my goodness, could you imagine if that doinked and came out and we had a 16-16 game? Anyways, around the league, uh this is a hundred percent ending on a Justin Tucker walk-off field goal, right? Like we both agree though. Yeah, either okay, it's yeah. gonna end on a Justin Tucker walk-off field goal. I'm not gonna hit the uh Ravens minus three. I hate everything. When they didn't go for that touchdown and didn't, you know, went up six, I knew this was happening. F my bets, of course, you know, uh, why would I win? Thankfully, <laughs> DraftKings handed me a free, you know, $40 earlier. But um, so around the league, just the Arizona Cardinals that still have a place in my heart somewhere, just find ways to piss me off. Um, Kyler Murray, dude, awareness. Cliff, dude, awareness. Stephen Kine, go get fired or something, please, for the love of God. You all have zero awareness. Um, the NFC East does need some, you know, credit though. They, uh, you are spot on. The NFC East, Cooper Cush, as Pat McAfee likes to call him, or Cooper Rush for the general <laughs> spectating fan. <laughs> I love um, McAfee. I do too. Uh, Cooper Cush has now been five and zero when needing to start, as Dak has been out in his career for the Cowboys. Yes, the defenses look good. Yes, the game plan seemingly put in front of the Cowboys has looked very, very impressive. However. You have to now finally start crediting the quarterback. Holy crap. Maybe Dak isn't as needed as people might thought. And I'm not trying to crap on Dak, but like, dude, Cooper Rush, Cooper Cush is coming in here and still operating this offense perfectly. And they're getting the job done time and time again. Testament to Mike McCarthy. Can't believe I said that, but testament to him and that entire team just making things happen. Um, the Giants are the Giants. We talked about them already. And the Eagles, I'm not – you said might be the, one of the deepest rosters, 1-53 to 53 in the NFL. I'm not going to necessarily disagree with that. What I will say is they easily had an opportunity to lose that game today. They had their moments against a Cardinals team that has only had a miracle comeback against the Raiders and beat the very, very lowly Carolina Panthers. It, they weren't impressive either people like there's a reason I just asked for the GM to be fired. The Cardinals were not good. If you ever want to bet, just here's where I'll close out real quick. If you ever want a guaranteed bet, and this is for all of you out there, you want a 10 unit play bet, whatever team the Cardinals are playing to cover the first half spread, they will come out so poorly. I mean, crap. If you can move that line up a touchdown, do it. The Cardinals are so, so bad at scripting plays. Cliff Kingsbury, I'm pretty sure, still thinks that this is like college and you can still outspeed to the edges. Buddy, this is the NFL. You can't do that. All right. I'm off my Cardinals little stoop here. Uh, it's laughable that the Jets are in first or in second. Jeez, I almost said first place. It's laughable that the Jets are in second place, but testament to them. You were spot on. Zach Wilson came back from injury and he has been very good. He's gotten the job done. I love Zach Wilson still. I just didn't think that he would be kind of out the gates firing after that injury situation. They look great. I mean, they look good. Dolphins, they need Tua back, of course. Um, stuff like that. They look like things are going. Also, Reek was in a walking boot. I don't know yeah. to what severity. Um, that's just something to note. I, I wasn't sure if you're going to note that or not. Bailey Zappi, though. This is where I want to end. The New England Patriots, hot take alert, 
the New England Patriots need to heavily consider things with Bailey Zappi. Sounds crazy, right? Look, that same offense with Mac Jones looked horrible. All until he got hurt, horrible. Even in the Ravens game, Mac Jones was able to make a couple things happen. I am very confident that Bailey Zappi would be able to put out a very, I'm laughing as I say this hot take, but I genuinely believe this, people, believe it or not. I don't know to what extreme, but Bailey Zappi might be able to do a very similar job that Mac Jones can. And we live in a world where the Patriots might have to give up on Mac Jones because this is where I get to this. Mac Jones is a quarterback that doesn't want to come back. And Bill Belichick is like, oh, it's only this. He's going to be back in a couple weeks. And Mac Jones was the one that put out that report that he'd be out for six to eight weeks. Mac Jones has his mind on other things. Maybe it's on his long-term health. I don't know. Maybe he thinks it's worse than it actually is. Who knows? All I know is it doesn't seem like he wants to play as much as maybe some people think. And Bailey Zappi, Zappi, Zappi is putting out a production here that keep an eye on it. If Bailey Zappi is all of a sudden producing decently and Mac Jones is out for one or two more weeks, man, uh, we might have a quarterback controversy up there in New England because I think Bill Belichick will only care about results in the end run. And if Bailey Zappi is running this offense and getting the job done with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge being his offensive coordinator and play callers, uh, yeah, we might have, we might find ourselves in that world, ladies and gentlemen. Something to keep an eye on. Uh, these teams all in the division have some interesting stories going on at quarterback. Good with the Jets with Zach Wilson. Interesting with the Patriots with Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones. And then obviously the Dolphins sorting through their injuries with Tua and Teddy Bridgewater. Look, I would love to dunk dunk on the Dolphins. It, it's just really hard. Um, you know, those of us who dealt with Dolphins Twitter two weeks ago that were like, Oh, injuries aren't an excuse. Injuries aren't an excuse. This, this game today was a chef's kiss because they're all like, we were down to our third string quarterback. Ah, ha ha injuries are an excuse. But the reality is like, it's, it's, you can't really take a whole lot when a team's down to their third string rookie quarterback playing a game. So we'll see what happens with the dolphins. I think the big thing there is when does Tua get back? Could Teddy Bridgewater come back? If Tua is not ready to go, um, their season could go off the rails just with quarterback injuries, which obviously is a concern with Bridgewater and Tua in their career. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. All right, Luca, we have a couple minutes left. Um, this Baltimore game is winding down. I am losing my mind watching the Bengals play defense, knowing that if they give up a field goal, they're going to lose. And they are in the prevent of all prevent defensive looks, just giving the Ravens chunk play after chunk play. They are certainly within Justin Tucker field goal range now. Uh, Luca's a few minutes, a few seconds ahead of me, but all right, Luca, we know what's up next week. The Kansas city chiefs, uh, the last time these two teams were on the field, it was an absolute classic. Obviously the super bowl will not be won or lost next week, but home field advantage in the playoffs could very much be up in the air. Now, if you remember back to last, last year, the bills did beat the chiefs in arrowhead, um, early in the season and then ended up having to go to Arrowhead in the playoffs. So there is a long season ahead. The Chiefs are thought of to have one of the harder schedules in the back end and the Bills schedule does soften up. So the Bills could probably absorb a loss here to Kansas City and still challenge for that number one seed. It certainly is not what they want to have happen. The winner of this game is probably in the driver's seat for that number one seed. So, Luca, here we are seven days out. The Chiefs haven't even played their game this week, so it's kind of weird to think about. But high level, quick thoughts. Um, how amped are you for this game? How psyched are you for this game? Um, 
just how are you feeling? What what kind of thoughts do you have? Because we're not going to be on the air again until this game has gone final. I'm excited. First and foremost, I'm very I'm very excited. It's hard not to be excited for a game that could hopefully live up to the billing with maybe a different result, but live up to the billing of the last time we saw these two on that same field in Arrowhead. Um, beyond that point, what I will say is. This is the situation. So both you and I in our season preview discussed, you know, game by game, where we thought the Bills would be. Both of us in different scenarios, yours being the absolute correct to the point one right now, and mine slightly different. I thought we'd lose in Baltimore, but win in Miami. Um, This is where we thought we would be. Sorry, I just had a break there. This is where we thought we'd be. And I think because of that, I've kind of put myself in this kind self-secure mindset or just I'm not stressed out. I understand the severity or the, you know, ramifications of this game in the sense of, look, the one seed could literally live on this game. Whoever wins this could is a, it's not even could. They are in the driver's seat for the one seed especially considering we thought the AFC West. Now I'm going to just personally say, I did not think Denver would be good going to this. I was in the minority. Looks like I'm right. Suck it people. Uh, (laughs) AFC West was supposed to be better. They still like the chargers can still put up a fight for the chiefs, you know, everything of that nature. But my point is this game is not everything for the one seed, but it will be a big, big factor going into it. And Kansas City might not have as tough of a road as we thought when we did our season preview. But we still knew they would be 4-1 and one coming into this game, right? We still knew that this is the situation the Bills are going to be in. They're going to have a good Kansas City team to go in, in a tough environment. And I'm not overly worried because... In our preview show, I believe, if I recall correctly, we both have the, have the Bills losing. Are we going to pick that way in our confidence picks when it comes to Thursday? Time will tell. But we have them losing. And because of that, because we went through that exercise, I'm not stressing it. Because you and I both know, and any Bills fan that wants to look at the schedule knows, the road gets a lot easier following this game for the Buffalo Bills. We have a bye. We have a home Sunday night game against the Packers. And then those second place in the AFC East Jets are next on the schedule. I say that with a little bit of a laugh because let's be honest, no disrespect to Jets fans, I'm pretty sure the Bills will be a double-digit favorite in that game at MetLife. So it gets from there and on a lot easier and we both predicted only one more loss in that entire stretch because on paper that's really what it felt like so ultimately with us both predicting them to lose this game we both fell on the number that these buffalo bills will eventually end at 14 and 3 and that put us in said one seed So where am I going with all of this? Where am I wrapping up this point that I ramble on about like I do with everything else? Where I get is, Bills fans, this is not end-all, be-all. This is not everything. First and foremost, let's enjoy this game, right? 
let's be able to enjoy this because we couldn't enjoy that divisional game. That actually mattered. And unfortunately, we came out on the wrong side. This is the game that we can go into. We want to win. If you don't want to win, why are you a fan? But enjoy it. Enjoy what happens because Mahomes versus Allen is a very, very special situation. You go back to the New England and Colts rivalry years, Peyton versus Brady, those games as a general spectator were phenomenal. And I think what I respect is I know Patriots fans that I am very good friends with. They enjoyed those games. There were times, not often, unfortunately for Colts fans, there were times though where the Colts came out on top and they still were able to enjoy what that moment was. Brady versus Manning, you know, addition 11, whatever you want to call it, you know, 11th facing. Enjoy it first and foremost. Hopefully we get the win, but always, always, always remember the one seed and the Super Bowl is not won and lost on this one individual game. It goes a long way if you win it or lose it, of course, due to tiebreakers and situations of that nature. But there is a long season ahead of us, and the schedule for the Bills gets a lot easier, and the Chiefs still have to play the Chargers again at L.A. and other stuff that things can still happen, that even if the Bills lose this game, they can go on a run for, throughout the rest of the season and find themselves in that one seed, and Kansas City is coming to Buffalo late January, as we discussed earlier in this episode. That is how I am going into this game. I'm going to try to enjoy it. Yes, I'm going to have my Bills fandom at heart and really want to win this one, but I will always remember that it is not everything. It is not the divisional playoff game. This is not the 2020 AFC Championship, well, 2021. This is not that game. This is a week six NFL football game. That is what we will be watching Please enjoy it because Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, I fully expect to put on some fireworks. And if I were to take my Bills fandom out of this, I am almost positive it is going to be the must-watch game of the season. As Josh pointed out, CBS was advertising it like crazy, and I'm sure they even ramped it up. I know Nancy even Romo even talked about it for next week because the game they were broadcasting was already over. There's a reason for that. This is the one game that CBS paid to lock. They know what this game will produce. It for sure will produce the fireworks. Let's enjoy it, Bills fans. Let's please enjoy the moment and do not overreact to anything for the love of God. Yeah, I mean, you said a mouthful there, and everything you said was correct. Just quickly, the, the Ravens did end up winning on that Justin Tucker field goal. If you're listening to this on Monday, you probably already know that. Okay. And I don't get my spread, by the way. I lose my bets. Everything I lose, sucks. I lose Got my it. live bet on the Bengals <laughs> that I put $10 on to win 40 mid game, whatever. Nobody cares about our bets except us. Whatever. Um, you know, this is, this is such a interesting spot because for years, years during the drought, it felt like the bills would never be in games like this. You would just watch Manning against Brady or the Steelers against the Patriots or the Packers against the Niners and just wonder what it felt like to be in those spotlight games while the bills were buried in a slate at one o'clock games playing the jets in a game that only like a little tiny corner of the country got to see. 
and it your team just felt so insignificant. And now it's the Bills who are one of those teams, one of those two teams really, that when when they face off, the whole football world stops and talks about it. And Luca brought it up today. It wasn't just the Bills Steelers game. It was every game on CBS, like CBS. Luca and I both have setups in our basement where we're able to watch all the games basically at once. And I'm telling you that it doesn't matter if it was Bills Steelers, if it was Titans Washington, if it was Jets Dolphins. Every five minutes, there was a highlight package of the Bills Chiefs divisional round with a, a promo video. And next week is the showdown and the rematch. This is the game that the football world is going to be talking about. If you if you're into watching NFL Network, if you're into watching ESPN or Fox Sports One, it's going to be the game that they're talking about all week long. And with that kind of buildup comes an overreaction. Luca called it out. The winner of this game does not win the number one seed. The winner of this game does not even lock up a playoff spot or a division title or anything like that. A lot can happen along the way. There is a lot of season left. And the Bills have done a fantastic job to get to the point where they're going to be at least four wins before the bye, given the schedule they had and the injuries they were dealing with. With all of that said, one, the Bills have the better team. I wholeheartedly believe that. You take quarterbacks out of it. I think I think quarterbacks are even. If you want to give an, an edge to Mahomes, I'll give you that because he's beaten Allen in the big spot now two years in a row. He's got a Super Bowl and MVP. You want to give the edge to Mahomes, Fine, I'll live with it. I don't feel bad about who the Bills are trotting out at quarterback ever. The Bills have the better team, 1-53, to and I think that almost doesn't even matter if these injuries that I expect most of these guys to come back from are out there. The Chiefs roster is not great. The Chiefs roster is Mahomes, Kelsey, an okay offensive line, some decent weapons, some interesting running backs, and a defense that finds a way to really stop the run while also not doing so well against the pass. So that sounds like something the Bills should be able to take advantage of, right? The point is, we're going to, as fans, get wrapped up in the hype. These are fun games to be a part of. Luca called it out perfectly. One, enjoy it for what it is. Take yourself out of being a Bills fan for a second and just enjoy the fact that you get to see these two quarterbacks face off against each other in the prime of their careers because I'm telling you, it may feel like we're going to have 10, 12, 15 more of these games, but you never know when it's going to end. Football is a very violent sport. Things change on a dime. You never know when that last Mahomes-Allen game is going to be. And you don't even know if we're going to get a playoff game between them this year, even though it feels inevitable. So enjoy it. That's one. Two, I think the Bills are probably going to win the game because I think the Bills have the better team. But the Chiefs, and I have the rest of the week to change my opinion, but that's just how I feel sitting here on Sunday night. The Chiefs could very well win the game because they also are good and they also have a quarterback who is a cheat code at quarterback and on any given Sunday is capable of overtaking any game he wants. And he's done that times this year. He did it against the Buccaneers, did it against the Cardinals. The Chiefs are still capable of having that offensive explosion. No matter what happens on Sunday, my promise to you fans, to you listeners, to people who we are so thankful for to listen to this show, win or lose, my promise to you is... On our post-game show next week, my thought will just be about the game. It will not be, we are going to the Super Bowl. It will not be, oh my God, there's no chance we're winning the Super Bowl because the Chiefs are that much better than us. This game is a one-game sample size, 
And you don't have to look any further back than last season when the Bills went to Arrowhead and smashed the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football and then could not stop them at all in the divisional round and lost the game. So it's a one-game situation. It's a situation that we can all enjoy as sports fans because it's the two teams that are the most talked about teams in the NFL from an excitement standpoint, not from a, hey, Dallas has the biggest fan base in the NFL, so we're going to talk about them nonstop. These are the two teams that everybody wants to be, and this is round one of what will probably be round two. Round two is a lot more important because it's a playoff game, but enjoy it. I think the Bills will win, but don't get wrapped up in the the talk, the aftermath, and what it all means, and what stinks a little bit for the Bills is there's a bye week after it, so if the Bills lose, that that loss will sit there a little bit longer, more so than like if they had a game the next Sunday by Tuesday or Wednesday, you're on to the Panthers or the Falcons or whoever's coming to town the next week. This one, win or lose, is going to sit there for a while. And that's fine. That Nothing that happens on Sunday, barring an, a, a catastrophe of an injury to one of the two quarterbacks in this game, is really going to change the shape of either of these two teams' seasons. It just might put one of them a little bit ahead in this marathon that's the NFL season. I can't wait for it. I'm looking forward to it. But I promise you, as somebody who creates content for the Bills, along with my partner Luca here, no matter what happens, win or lose, I'm not going to be celebrating a potential Super Bowl win or crying my, crying my tears that this season is not our year, depending on what happened in the result of that game. Go Bills. Beat the Chiefs. I can't wait for it. I would like you, the listener, to keep it locked in to the Built-in Buffalo Podcast Network all week as we will get you ready for this very exciting Bills-Chiefs game coming up. And then Luca and I will be back Sunday night, Monday morning, for your listening pleasure, obviously, to talk about everything that takes place next week in Arrowhead between the 4-1 and Bills and whatever the Chiefs are following their Monday night game against the Raiders. We will see you next time on Bills Chapter.